with your Bibles open, please bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, from this place should sound out the word of God, not the opinion of a man. Give us then clean lips with which to speak, prepared heart with which to receive, clean ears with which to hear. May your spirit be pleased to open our understanding to your truth so that upon the conclusion of this service, God would have spoken and God would have been responded to. To this end, I pray that you will let the words of my mouth and the meditation in our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As was mentioned this morning by John, and I didn't know he was going to be speaking about it, this week begins our week of prayer tomorrow night at 7, and each night until Saturday. And I trust that from this message this morning, you will be encouraged to be a part of our night. And I thought of it, I know that some of you cannot make it here on a nightly basis, but you might be able to come one night or two nights. But if you can't come any night, please have a special place in your homes where you will spend some time in prayer joining us, seeking the face of God. My dear friends, I cannot tell you how absolutely essential it is that you and I engage in this exercise. We are living in, in difficult times. Uh, in fact, I hate to even use the word difficult because difficult is how we deal with things. But we are living in times that call for divine intervention. We're living in times that we need to see something that is extraordinarily done so that people will say of us as God's people, the Lord has done great things for them. And we will say, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. I want to take you through this morning several portions of scriptures dealing with prayer. Last week we spoke about the word. This week it is prayer. One of the words used for prayer in the Bible is the word wait. To wait. And to wait means to pause. To pause in a sober way to consider our own inadequacy and the, Lord, the Lord's all-sufficiency and to seek counsel and help from the Lord to hope in Him, to wait. The word wait says something to you and me that we don't like. Wait. As North Americans, we must have everything done yesterday, if not the day before. And yet all through the Bible, Old and New Testaments, 
you will see that the word wait is always connected with prayer. They are connected. So whenever we're told to wait, there is a sense in which we're told to pray. I don't know who is responsible for this little thought. But the devil trembles, the devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knee. The devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees, or her knees as the case may be. What is prayer? How do we engage in this, this human divine thing that seems to be such a, a difficult exercise for us to engage ourselves in? Well, let's see if the Spirit will help us this morning to become enthusiastic about prayer in one sense and to practice it in the other sense. I want to begin my message this morning by talking about the priority, the priority of prayer. That prayer is not a secondary thought. It is not something that we say, oh yeah, I should do this if I have time. In Luke 18.1, the disciples listened to Jesus as he spoke to them, and he said this word, men ought always to pray. Ought. The word ought is, 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 is a word which, which speaks of necessity, of urgency. Men ought always to pray. Always is showing that prayer is to be like the breath, like oxygen is to our existence, so prayer must be to the life of the child of God. I want to suggest, first of all, that prayer precedes the birth of the church. Prayer precedes the birth of the church. The disciples had just returned from one of the most beautiful events in human history. Jesus had been crucified. Jesus had been buried. Jesus was raised from the dead. And the disciples were privileged to see him ascended, going back to heaven. And before he left, he said to the disciples, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of God. Wait. So he's suggesting there that you are to wait in, in this posture. And so, so we go to Acts chapter 1, verse 12, and we see them gathered there. We, we see them together, 120 people. And verse 14 tells us that they understood what Jesus meant when he said, wait, because in verse 14 we find them praying. And I love the way the Bible puts it. They were together with one accord praying. I'll unpack that later on. The church was not yet in existence. The church was, was yet in its, its, in its final hours of gestation, if you please. And the way by which the church was going to come into the world 
was by the 120 who saw the ascension that they would be engaged in prayer. The word prayer, the word prayer is suggesting one word, even though there are many more, but one word, and it is the word adoration. They were engaged in adoring God, praising God for what they had seen, praising God for the fact that they know what is to take place because Jesus told them, the angels told them. But the consummation of everything that they had heard and they had seen was now being consumed in the prayers of 120 people. The church is yet to come on the scene, but it will come because people are praying. God promised it. Jesus said, I will build my church, but there was no church. And the means by which the church was going to surface was because 120 people gathered together and with one voice they were adoring God by adoring God, they were, they were lavishing on God the sense of who God is, the sense of who God was, relating to his promises, relating to his person, adoring his beauty. And so in a few days, the church will be born. But it wasn't born without a praying church, a praying people. So prayer precedes the church. But I want to see secondly that prayer precedes all ministries of the church. Prayer precedes all ministries of the church. The church is now born. It is a new phenomenon in Jerusalem. It's getting bigger and bigger. It's in the thousands now. And, and you know, friends, that as soon as a church begins to grow, you know what will follow? Problems. Not problems of the people. Please get this straight. Problem because Satan does not like what is happening. And as a result of not liking what would happen, he will, he will try to, to bring conflicts. And so in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, as the church was growing... The Hellenistic Jews and the Greek Jews were saying that we are getting a raw deal. We're not getting the attention we want. And I think the disciples understood this because they took this information to the disciples. And they said, we need an answer to this. And the disciples said, okay, this is what you should do. You should choose for yourselves six men filled with the Spirit devoted to God's cause, but we will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. There are things to be done, but the primary ministry of the man who stands before the people of God is not the ministry of the word. It is the ministry of the word motivated by prayer. 
uh, this might sound funny, and I'm, I'm certainly not blowing my own horn, believe me. But I'm going to tell you, I, I was in the drug uh, pharmacy at Safeway in Salem. And, I, and I, in fact, last, <laughs> last Sunday, I stopped at uh, Sherry's to pick up a, a pie. And a fellow looked at me and said, were you in church today? Did you go to church today? I said, yes, I, I did. He said, you looked the part. <laughs> don't know what he meant. You looked the part. But I, I, was, I was in Safeway, and the guy had seen me coming there again and again. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, go ahead. What do you do? I said, I am a minister. I knew there was something like that. This was Saturday. Then he said to me, are you going home to get ready for tomorrow? Oh, my blood boiled. I said, mister, I did. I said, if I'm going home today, Saturday, to get ready for tomorrow, Sunday, I ought not to be in the ministry. Because, because dear friends, you see, what these, what these apostles said this, for in order for the word to be effective, it's not a, a, a jumbling of thoughts Saturday night for Sunday morning. It, it, is, it is the man of God who, who spends his days weeping before God that he will not abuse God's word. He will not misuse God's word. He will not use God's word for anything other than what God says his word is to be used for. That Sunday morning, says Dr. James Stewart, one of my bookish men mentor, that you should be so prepared in prayer that when you see your people coming Sunday morning, coming in the driveway or in the hallway, say to them, oh, dear friends, I have a word from God for you today. What God has given me is what God wants you to hear. We will give ourselves to prayer and you know, friends, almost every time I read that text, you know what it says? We will give ourselves to the word and to prayer. But that's not what it says. It says to prayer and to the word. You see, because it is possible for me to be bookish. To be able to, to quote C.S. Lewis. And to be able to be quote John Piper. And to be able to be called Tom Keller, and on and on I can go. But my friends, that will not do if my soul has not been prepared to come with God's word to you Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Some, some friends of mine ask me, you know, I, I love the game of golf. I, I have my clubs, and I have some balls which I haven't used for a long time. And I, it's a wonderful game. I, I really love it. And, and my home, what I watch on television doesn't bother most of the people in my home until I turn it to the Gulf Channel. <laughs> Who in his right mind would sit down and watch golf? Guilty. <laughs> and I can, I can go, I can go to Mallard every Monday morning and play free golf. My son-in-law has invited me. And oh my, 
So I said, you know, I should, I should go. But you know why I don't go? Uh, and friends, I, I, again, I want you to know that this is not, this is God's claim on my life, not me trying to impress you. I can't see myself giving six, seven hours playing golf when you at work are doing your work and my work is prayer and the study of the word. And halfway through nine holes, we get to hole number three, I said, I got work to do. And I begin to see some faces. What are you doing here? And I said, no, rather, rather than having to explain to anybody, that's why I don't play it. Perhaps one of these days, hope they have golf courses in heaven that way we'll take care of it. <laughs> but my friends, I'll tell you this because I believe this with all my heart. It is my deep conviction that a prayerless week for a pastor is a, is a, is a, a weak ministry in the pulpit on Sundays. That's my conviction. The Bible teaches it. Jesus, all the ministries of Jesus, choosing disciples, doing this, always preceded by prayer. Jesus never did anything, but it was preceded by prayer. And so the disciples said, we will give ourselves. And may I say, my friends, that this is not only true for the pastor, it should be true for the Sunday school teacher. It should be true for the people who work with Maker's Mom. That if you're going to handle God's word, it must be preceded by prayer. Thirdly, prayer prepares for battles against the church. Now note I didn't say battles in the church. I said battles against the church. Because in Acts chapter 12 verses 1 to 5, we read these words. And Herod stretched forth his hands to vex the church. To vex the church. It, it means to make, to make a charge against the church. To upset the church. And the one, this, may I just, just quickly say this because I want to get to my second and third point. This was a political move by Herod. But the church did not respond politically. Herod decided to vex the church. That is, he, he was going to put his hands in and cause confusion. Politics will always confuse a gathering. And especially when it's against... In fact, I just heard something the other day. One judge in, you know, the pastors in this country have had the privilege of getting benefits for their homes that they live in when their home is used for ministry... And one judge in Wisconsin this past two weeks said it is unconstitutional for pastors to get any kind of treatment that way. So now, what pastors used to get sometimes in some places, it used to be a part of their salary that they didn't have to, to do certain things. Now a judge is saying, I want that stop. And I am almost as certain as I'm standing here this morning can tell you, I know what the church will do. They're going to get a lawyer. And they're going to go to the, to, the, to the Senate and they're going to appeal to senators and congressmen. My friends, that should be number 10 on the list. 
number one should be, and the church prayed. And the church came together because, friends, there are physical and social ills in a society that will not be healed by social and political panacea. It can only be when God intervenes and the church says, God, unless you do something, and this in chapter 5 of Acts, said, they said, Lord, behold what Herod is doing. Look at what Herod is doing. And we need, my friends, to bypass the lawyers, bypass the Congress, bypass the Senate, and go to the throne of God. That's where, we, that's where the answers are. The church prayed and prayed. They went to God. <laughs> and you know, it's so interesting, because when God answered this prayer, Peter went to the door and he knocked. And Rhoda went to the door and answered. And, and she, Peter, oh, Peter. I can just imagine what Peter's saying. Open the door. <laughs> and she, she runs back and she said, Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. And they said, you didn't get to bed early last night, did you? You, 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 are, you, you, are, you are hallucinating. My friends, listen. Psalm 126 says this. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Israel, we were like those who dream, dreamed. Then they said, the world said, the Lord has done great things for them. And then we said, he in, in, indeed has done great things for us. And we are glad. We need to see God's intervention where the world has no explanation, but that God is responsible for it. Well, prayer precedes all the church's ministry. The church was birthed by prayer, in prayer. The church runs to God when it's politically vexed. And the church looks to God for all its doings. Secondly, prayer is not easy. Sometimes I, I watch religious television, and, and, and again, you hear me saying this all the time, and it's true. I'm watching less and less of it. Because what you see there is a mockery of, of a God who is to be exalted as we're reading this morning. Listen, Ephesians chapter 6 says this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestle. We are in a combat. We are the seed of the woman against the seed of Satan. And there will be no rest for the church. Because whenever the church seeks to go forward with the program of God, by the people of God, please listen, friends, the church will be opposed. There are three enemies that the church has. Three. And I, I, I wish I had time to do all three justice. First, the Bible teaches that prayer is opposed by Satan. Throughout the scriptures, Satan is, is called the chief opposer. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he's called like a roaring lion, an adversary, one who stands against. He, he, he's an accuser. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. He stands before God and he says, listen to that hypocrite Winston Thurton. Can you believe that he dares to pray? He dares to stand before the people and say, and we were singing, that's why that song was chosen, before the throne of God above. When Satan accused me before God, Jesus said, it's true, Father, but I paid it all already. I've taken care of it. Satan is an opposer, friends. You and I will have no desire to go forward with God, but that you will be opposed. This church will have no desire to go forward with God, but that Satan will bring all kinds of things in it. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says he is a hinderer. He hinders things from happening. He gets between people so they can't see the face of God, so they can't believe the promises of God. In Acts chapter 5, Satan fills the heart of Ananias to lie to God. So here we are, friends. Satan opposes any attempts from you and me to go forward with God. And I'm going to suggest to you that when we, when we say a week of prayer, Satan is going to do everything in his power to keep you from participating. Not only by coming. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Because secondly, Satan does not only oppose our prayers, our senses are obstructed by prayer, uh, obstruct prayer. Our senses. Galatians chapter 5. The flesh, lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary one to the other. So that when you want to pray, when you think you ought to pray, you will say, um, why, why pray when God already knows what's going to happen anyway and what he's going to do? That's the sense. That's the sense. Or, I don't have time to pray. That's the sense is speaking. See, it's not only the devil. It's our fallenness as well. Our against coming to God. When God was walking in the garden, coming toward Adam and Eve, they were going in the other direction because their sense of fallenness was keeping them from approaching God. Our senses. The third excuse our senses says, I don't know how to pray. <laughs> Reminds me of a story I heard of um, a logger. I think it was a logger. I'm not too sure. He had, uh, he had just become a Christian and he was told he had to pray. And so one night in prayer meeting, he was heard to say, Oh God, this is, and he named his, himself, 
And I don't know what to say, but I can just tell you some people are making me really mad. And, and, I, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do about this, and, and, but I, I'm, I'm told that I can come to you, and I can tell it to you, and, and you will take care of it, so please, please take care of it, because I, I don't know how to. Amen. Well, you might say, I don't know if God heard that. I'm going to tell you if he did, because he did something not about the situation, but about the one who was praying it. That's how God works. Fourthly, this is one that many of us are caught in. Our senses say, but you can't pray like. You can't pray like. Reminds me of D.L. Moody in a prayer meeting. And the prayer meeting was about to close, and this one man was praying in... <laughs> Moody said, this fellow was praying and he was just waxing eloquently. And Moody said, while our brother is waxing eloquently, eloquently, we'll close the meeting singing verse, verse 4 and 5 of hymn number. <laughs> because you see, friends, sometimes we try to impress God with our prayer. And I usually tell people when they say that to me, remember that prayer is never to a man. It is always to God. Always to God. So God is not impressed with the words we use. So, you know, there are times for long prayers, there are times for short prayers, but praying, praying is opposed by our senses. Our senses will tell us all kind of legitimate reason why we couldn't, we shouldn't, and we wouldn't. Let me quickly go on. You know I haven't even gotten to my text this morning so far. Prayer is overruled by sin. It is opposed by Satan obstructed by senses, and it is overruled by sin. Listen to Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard, that is, the word regard means to approve. If I give approval to sin in my life, no matter what the situation is, if, 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 if I say I have a right to, whatever the case might be, the Lord will not hear me. That's a, that's a powerful verse. What is one of the things, my friends, that we struggle with more than anything else when it comes to feeling that, that, that we can't pray if we're true to the Scriptures? Let me read it for you. It's from Mark 11, verse 25. Because this is, this is the word of the Lord. Mark eleven twenty-five. 25. Listen to Jesus. Jesus speaking. When you stand praying, the word stand is, is a very interesting word because it means to be deliberately posturing yourself in order to pray. So when you stand praying... Mark eleven twenty five. Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgression. If I regard iniquity in my heart, 
Not even the promises of God will do if those promises are used so that I can regard iniquity. If I regard iniquity, prayer is overruled by sin. The only prayer that God hears after that, my friends, is Father, forgive me. Then he releases us so that we can serve others. Let me quickly go to my last point. The purpose of prayer. Colossians, here's the text. Colossians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. First, prayer must be maintained. The text says, devote yourselves to prayer. The word devote is the same word that is used in chapter uh, 1 of Acts. They continued. What it means, my friends, that, that there should never be a time when prayer is not an essential, vital aspect in my life or in my ministry. Devote yourself to prayer. Whether it's Old or New Testament, we hear Jesus saying this. To us, he says, men ought always to pray. So the church structure my house shall be called a house of prayer. And most churches are known for a number of, of things. And I only know of one church in North America that is known for its prayer life. I only know of one. And it's the Brooklyn Tabernacle. In the Brooklyn Tabernacle, <laughs> I'm not saying we're going to do it here, okay? Because when God leads us, then we do it, not by trying to mimic someone else. But when the Brooklyn Tabernacle for choir, you have to commit yourself to prayer before you can join the choir. For a teacher, you've got to commit yourself to prayer before you can um, become a part of the ministry. And, and do they have problems? Oh, my friends, do they have problems? The pastor's daughter said, I want no part of it. And she walked out on her parents. For years, nobody knew where Cymbalist's daughter was. And one day someone said to him, why don't you let the church know how you're hurting? And he got up and he told the church about his daughter. And someone said to Simbala, I'm praying for your daughter. And listen to this. One day, this person had the, the deep conviction that God was about to answer the prayer on behalf of Mr. Simbala. And he sent him an email. And he said, I want you to know that God has convinced me that your daughter is coming home. For a whole month, he didn't hear anything from this man. And a month later, he was going through his, his, his papers on his desk. And he said, oh no, I forgot to call my friend and let him know that my daughter did come home. Let, let me tell you how this happens, friends. I want to say just two more things, if you will permit me. 
the ministry of prayer is a collaboration between human beings and a divine God. And there are times in our prayer life that we are confused. We, we face difficulties, conflicts. We don't know what to do. And, and, and we go to God and we, we would think that, that by praying it was going to solve the situation. Listen to what the Bible says. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit comes to help us. To help us. And, and, and I am always amazed by this little word, H-E-L-P in English. But in the Greek, the word for help is sun antilambano. Sun antilambano. And here's what that word means. Sun means together with. Anti, against, whatever it might be. Lambano, to take. And in the prayer life of the church, when the church is timid by the hindrance of Satan, when the church is obstructed by its senses, when the church is opposed by Satan, the Holy Spirit comes and together with us, against the wiles of the devil, he takes over. And when he takes over, the scripture says, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And listen, listen, the end result of the Holy Spirit's prayer is that we are conformed to the image of Jesus. Prayer must be maintained. We can't do without it, friends. If I say nothing else to you this morning, I want to tell you that prayer is the life of the church and we can't do without it. Prayer must be matured. Prayer must be matured. Keep alert in it. And I'll just say this about this. To keep alert in it simply means this. <laughs> I'll give you a verse of scripture. Isaiah chapter 62, verses 6 and 7. Listen, listen to Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7. Listen to this verse. On your walls, O Jerusalem, this is God speaking, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Purpose, keep alert in it. If you find yourself becoming lax in prayer, run to God and say, this is not of God because God delights when his people pray. Give God no rest. You're not screaming at God. You're saying to God, unless you do it, Lord, we don't know what we will do. Jesus, listen to this. In the days of his flesh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayer and supplication with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save from death, Jesus, the Son of God, on his face before God, with his voice lifted to God, and tears falling from his face, with his voice lifted, he said, Oh God, protect me from giving up. Jesus prayed that. 
He kept it alive. Mature praying, my friends, is that God gives me the ability to stand my ground, whatever the situation is. Because right now, when the Spirit comes and takes over, it is no longer my strength with which I'm dealing with this thing. It is the strength of God Almighty. Lastly, prayer is the motive for ministry. Verse 3 of Colossians 4. Pray as well for me, says St. Paul. Pray for us. Don't think that your minister has it all together so that, that he never makes a mistake, never says a wrong word. No, pray that God will keep him and God will make him honest with those things. <laughs> Might be one of the English pastors of years gone by. A lady came to him and said, uh, Pastor, I have something I want to say to you. And she, the pastor said, Go right ahead. <laughs> And she had a list of things against that pastor. And the pastor said, uh, are you finished? And she said, yes, I am. Oh, he wiped his brow. He said, I know a lot more that you didn't put there. <laughs> no, friends, we don't have it all. But I'm going to tell you what, it is, what is true. When we are confronted by our weakness, we better be willing to admit it to confess it, to submit to it. You know, some pastors are never wrong. Just got an email from Toronto. My heart weeps as I read it. I haven't even told my wife about it now that she knows. <laughs> she hears me. Just, just, people have, have not come to God. They exercise things, as John wrote, uh, read this morning, and I didn't tell John what to read. We do all the religious things, but somehow we are not where God is transforming us to deal with them. Prayer is the motive for the ministry. And then he said this, pray that God will open doors for the, for, for the proclamation of the gospel. Please listen. The ministry of the church is not by the cleverness of the pastor. The ministry of the church is sustained by the prayers of the people of God, that God opened doors that no minister can open. And we're thinking, my friends, of Solaville. How do we reach people up in the hills? How do we reach people to the north and to the south of us? Listen, friends, I'm going to tell you how it's done. It is done when we are willing to say to God, if the door of those hearts are to be opened, you have to open them. Because listen, please listen. Only God can open doors, but he will never open it unless we pray. Only God can open doors. But every door that is open, friends, is because the people of God got before God and say, I will not give you rest, and I will not rest, because I know this is what you have. I close with these words. When Dallas Theological Seminary was in its infancy, one of the prestigious seminaries of our day, they faced a great, great financial problem. Great financial problem. A prayer meeting was called. Among those at the prayer meeting was one Dr. Harry S. Ironside. If you're an older Christian, that name will mean much to you. 
In fact, I put, pulled on one of his books in my library this past week and read his thoughts on this very text. And they were praying. And Dr. Harry Ironside said, Oh God, the cattle on a thousand hills are yours. Will you not sell some of those cattle and send the money to us? We need it. <laughs> Five minutes later, a fellow showed up at the office. And he asked for the president of the school. And the secretary said, you can't see him right now. They're in prayer. He said, I have to see him. So the president of the school went out to meet this man, a farmer. And he said, a week ago, God laid it on my heart to sell some cattle. And it was a good sell. And I want to give this money to the school. The president ran into the prayer room and said, Harry, God sold the cattle. <laughs> and he has met our needs. Dear friends, I am begging you, join us in prayer. For when God moves mountain and when God sells cattle, he does it because you are praying, because you are praying, because I am praying. Let us pray. <sighs> Mountains. Cattle, fire, water, none, none of them, none of them is a match for God. That is why we're told, our God, that is why we're told, be still and know that I am God, not you. And when we come to pray, we come to place in the hands of the sovereign God who takes over and the end result of his answer is that we flow with the aroma of Jesus. Hear our prayers this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.